in reality, everything is the connections you make. That one night really changed my entire career course. The International Dentist Podcast, conversations to motivate and empower dental professionals with your host, Dr. LaGreca. We all have the ability to choose whether we want to live a happy and optimistic life or a sad and low-spirit one. We have the choice to perceive things in a positive or a negative light. This is what I learned from our guest after nearly 10 years of friendship. She has a natural ability to make things that are really hard look extremely easy. During this conversation, you will have a little piece of her experience and her life as a Venezuelan dentist pursuing a surgical career in the United States. Dr. Laura Herzorfer completed a two-year advanced education in general dentistry residency at the University of Connecticut and a three-year oral implantology residency at Harvard University, and is there where she obtained her Master of Medical Science in Clinical Research. Today, her practice is limited to comprehensive reconstructive implant dentistry, dental-alveolar surgery, as well as aesthetic implant dentistry in Miami, Florida. She also holds a position as an associate professor at the University of Florida in the implantology program. I'm super excited to bring you Dr. Herzdorfer's journey as an international dentist. Hi, Dr. Herzdorfer. Welcome to the International Dentist Podcast. Hello. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. I'm super excited for this conversation. I think it's going to be great. I can feel it. From the beginning. True, 100%. It's going to be exciting and, and, and hopefully inspiring for, for so many. I'm sure. I'm sure it will. I want to hear from you uh, about your story. Why coming to the United States? What made you choose this country to practice dentistry? Well, originally I have family that has been living here for a long time. Even when I was growing up in Venezuela, I had family here. My mom was living here. So I always knew in the back of my head for personal reasons that I wanted to live here. Now, as I studied dentistry in Venezuela, I knew that my postdoctorate program, I wanted to have a really solid education. And I started looking into the U.S. for that, especially because my family was here first. But then when I was looking into information, I found that really some strong programs were going on here. So I decided this is perfect for me. When you look for programs, what was your scope of search? What were your goals at that time when you came? Well, it's, it's funny because I always thought I was going to be an oral maxillofacial surgeon since very, very early in my career in dentistry. And I am not. So right now. So it's funny how we start creating these illusions. We think we want to focus on something and then down the path, we realize it really is not, I realized it really was not for me for multiple reasons that I will talk about, but that's what I first started looking into here in the U.S. What made you change your mind or what things, I guess, you found that they did not fit your personality? Oral maxillofacial surgery is particularly, I think it's very different from any other specialty in dentistry because in essence, it's more medical than it is dental. So that's the first thing. And the approach here is different than it is in Venezuela. We have oral surgery. It's a, it's a three-year program. It's more dental alveolar surgery, the way we see it over there versus here. It's more medical, hospital, career. It's a completely different lifestyle. 
and is more broad. It doesn't really involve much dentistry. So I did a few rotations. Uh, my first rotation actually was at Tufts University. That's when I really got exposed to what it is, oral maxillofacial surgery, the rounds and what it involves. And as I was looking into that really closely, I realized I wanted to do a different type of surgery. I've, I've always been attracted to surgery, but I realized the approach that I wanted to have in my patients was uh, going to be a little bit different and would be a little bit more minimalistic. So that's how I started looking into other options. When you have those other options in mind, what were your options or what was listed in your head as a possibility or as a backup plan? In reality, oral maxillofacial surgery for an international dentist in the U.S. is very, very challenging because to be accepted is not the same as it is for a dentist licensed here or who did the DDS or DMD here. So I realized that I had to do it all over again. And that was the only way. Doing what all over again? The dental school? Yes, mm -hmm. doing dental school completely. I first thought that I could do it straight after dental school in Venezuela. Mm -hmm. And it's not really like that. So you need to have certain credentials. You need to meet certain criteria. And I also didn't want to do dentistry all over again. And that's what I think people should focus first. What are my options to practice dentistry in the U.S.? And do I want to go this way or do I want to find another way of doing it? Because there's more than one way. Your goal was always to practice here when you came. Yeah. So having that in mind, I guess that also shaped your decisions. Absolutely, because there's many colleagues in my home country that they studied here and they knew that they were going back home. For me, I knew that I wanted to stay here and I wanted to live here. So if I wanted to live here and I love my profession, I want to be able to practice here. So I started focusing more into, okay, let's be realistic and think, I want to practice here and what are the steps that I need to do in order to be able to achieve that. And you talked about doing internships and rotations when you were thinking in oral surgery. Is that a requirement for oral surgery applicants? It's a plus. I think they know that it's a very challenging program. It's a very challenging route. And for sure, they want people to start being exposed to it. So you get the real feels for what it is, the scheduling, all the studying that's involved. And it's definitely something that every applicant I would recommend do. But then when you chose finally to start switching your path or exploring those other options, how do you end that up where you are right now? Could you tell us a little bit about that journey? Yes, for sure. It was a long one, actually. <laughs> so I first realized that, that each state here is very different. It's the United States, but each state has its, its own requirements. So my family is here in Florida. I live in Miami and they've always lived here. So I pretty much knew that I wanted to be able to practice in Florida. And I realized, oh, okay, it's not for every state the requirements are the same. After I chose and I knew which state I wanted to live in, I said, okay, what are the requirements to practice in Florida? So for me, I did a two-year program in AGD Advanced Education in General Dentistry program, which I knew was going to lead me towards the path of practicing dentistry. And I mean practicing in private practice because mm -hmm. teaching in academia is a completely different path and can be done in a different way. But private practice is what I mean. So 
for Florida, it was two consecutive years because people sometimes do one year in one institution and they jump to another institution. Mm -hmm. So for Florida, that doesn't fly. Here has to be two years in the same institution. And then I was able, of course, after doing the national boards and the regional board, I will be able to apply for licensure here. Wonderful. I guess that that has to be an accredited program, right? For sure, yes. It has to be an accredited program, yes. And you did that where? I did that University of Connecticut. Okay. So far from Florida, but still served the purpose, right? Yes, 100%. Actually, I moved from Caracas, my city in Venezuela, straight to Connecticut, even though I have family here. I just passed by to say hi and bye. (laughs) And that's where I matched because I did it through match. What was the first challenge you encountered moving from Caracas to a city in Connecticut? Hartford, right? Well, West Hartford and Hartford is very quiet. It's very, very different from the city life I was used to. And my first challenge wasn't the weather, although that was a challenge afterwards because we started in summertime. So it was wonderful. I was lucky enough that I matched with my best friend from Venezuela and we both actually wanted to do oral surgery when we moved here first. And we had very similar mindset. So that was a blessing that made everything easier. When you move out, you're completely independent in a language that is not your first language in a country that I love this country and I've always seen it as as home because I've been coming here very, very often since I'm little because because of my family. But I'm still, you're not used to how everything operates here. So of course there's, there's a few challenges, but honestly, I don't, I don't know if you forget (laughs) the, the bad things, but challenging, I would say, you know, moving and adapting Maybe a few things are, that are different, but it wasn't, it wasn't really something that I feel it was extremely hard. Having a close friend also made it feel like home from, from the beginning, right? Yes. And the program was actually half were Canadians and Hispanics from all over, from Spain, from Costa Rica, from Central America. It was a very diverse program. It was a large program. We were about 18 residents. So. Oh, wow. It is a large program. Mm-hmm. We were a big family. We really got along very, very well. Um, I think that's one of the most big blessings that I had. Getting along with your colleagues and your residents and your classmates is, is so helpful. Hmm. And then what happened after? You finished your AGD at the University of Connecticut and you were ready, licensed to go back to your new home, which now will be Florida. But did that happen exactly as you planned or it was a little detour? During the AGD, I first got exposed to implant dentistry. I placed my first implant. So in general, it's like the name. It's an advanced program in general dentistry. So I was exposed to things that I hadn't done before. I was exposed to digital dentistry. I was exposed to CEREC. I was exposed to rotary endodontics. Things that I really never learned or, or saw before including dental implants. And I placed my first implants during the program. I was very involved in surgery in general because it's something that I like. So you focus on that. And I was trying to move away from endo, for instance. (laughs) It's something that happened very naturally. And I started realizing how complex dental implants can be. And I saw that there was a lot more than I was looking in the program. 
I'm like, okay, I need to learn more about this. I feel like I need to be way more exposed. And I started doing rotations in the Perio program at UConn because they are the ones that are doing dental implants there. Or at the time, they were doing more advanced. We were doing the easier cases and they were doing the more complex cases along with the uh, prosthetics program. They were restoring the cases, rehabilitating cases. Sometimes we would rehabilitate single unit cases from them as well. So there was this interaction and I really, I really enjoyed that play. Periodontics start becoming an option for you at the time. Yes. It crossed my mind briefly. (laughs) There's things about perio that I did not see myself doing for life. So it's really the essence of what periodontics is. So I realized, look, if I don't enjoy the full scope of the specialty, it probably is not for me. So I respected a lot and I learned a lot from it. And I think it's, it's involved in what I do nowadays a lot, for sure. It's biology. But I don't know. I started feeling very attracted also to knowing what the other side was, what the prosthodontic side was, and how my job as a surgeon would really impact the outcome of and, and why, and why making certain decisions and, and certain position and implant dentistry would really alter the outcome. So I started becoming interested in and then in seeing both sides of the equation. Mm-hmm. Both sides all related with implant dentistry, right? Which was yes, I think the things. Which is what I do now. Mm-hmm. And then most. how did you start searching for, for those options? During my second year is when I got very involved with the periodontal program. And actually the program director at the time. He was working very closely with Nobel and the digital planning with Nobel. So I started seeing all the the big planning, the hybrid cases. I started going to seminars that Perry and Pross would have. And he was very, very welcoming. Dr. Skingaglia, he's an Italian doctor. He's now back in Italy. And he really was the first person that that really got me involved into deep, deep into implant dentistry. And then after you got that involvement, I guess, did he mentor you somehow into what things to do and how to explore improv programs or? Not really. It was all completely random. I was doing, and this is exactly how I got into implant dentistry at Harvard. Just one event wasn't planned at all. We were having a long day, actually, and I was basically very close with the period program, like I said. And one of the ITI fellows at the time, he told me about this meeting that Perio was having with the Harvard implantology team and the Harvard periodontics team. And he told me there's a study club that's going to be happening in Boston and it's a Harvard club and it's open and we can bring you if you want to come. So funny enough, of course I said yes. And we, I was the only one wearing scrubs for that. That's a very, you know, it's, it's an event that people go pretty well dressed and, and it's a night event and everybody's wearing tuxedos and dress and, and it's at nighttime, but I had no time to go home because I needed to drive. We needed to drive almost two hours from Farmington to Boston. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. And I didn't realize it was so formal, of course, until I got there and I saw <laughs> the whole scenario, very Harvard, very elegant. And there I was wearing scrubs. So 
you know, I, I, um, I attended the lecture and then I, I, I met the whole program. I met Dr. Gallucci, I met Dr. Luzon, my future mentors and my future program director. And that was my first time getting really in contact with, with that program. And you talked mm -hmm. about, you mentioned ITI. Could you explain a little bit of what ITI stands yes, for? Yes, sure. So the ITI is the International Team for Implantology. It's the biggest organization actually for implant dentistry worldwide. And it's, uh, it started in Switzerland and it's really a strong, solid implant dentistry organization. And it looks at both sides of, which is, I think is the most important thing in implant dentistry that you evaluate both the surgical and the prosthetics of it. It's a huge platform that provide tremendous resource for, for anyone interested in implant dentistry. After you went to that meeting, definitely not dressed for the occasion. <laughs> you probably created an impression or... I think they're like, oh, poor girl. Let's just say hi to her so she doesn't feel bad. <laughs> no, everyone was very, very welcoming, I have to say. I don't know what they were thinking. It definitely, you know, I was looking different. But I really didn't let that bother me too much. Because everybody was so nice, I, it was something that went away really, really quickly. You have an opportunity to come after that trip and then explore the university a little bit? Yeah, for so, yeah so after that, that's why networking is so important. Making yourself approachable is very important. If you're shy, just try to be relaxed and try to be, you know, yourself, casual and try to mingle with people because in reality, everything is the connections you make. That one night, really changed my entire career course, basically. Wow. Because from then, really, from then is I became very tight with um, all the Harvard people were there and they were very approachable. And I talked to them for a long, for a long time. We stayed there after the meeting for, for a long time. And then they invited me. They said, look, interviews are coming up in two months. We would love to have an applicant like you. Of course, I learned about the program that was very new to me because I didn't even know, honestly, that program existed. So I started looking into what that program was, what was involved in the program, how was it different from perio, for instance, and how is it different from prosthodontics? And I started looking into different programs in the U.S. and that really integrated both sides. That program was amazing. Also, Loma Linda in California really caught my attention and. A program in NYU, also, but it was a little too short. I think it was one year. So I wasn't sure if I wanted to do just one year because I knew that one year wasn't enough for all there is involved. Absolutely. Definitely there are many options in terms of implant dentistry, but somehow you were at the right place at the right time without even knowing, right? And I guess that's, that's what it means to take every opportunity, even when you don't feel ready just to say yes. The things you said yes to Boston, let's just go for a night. I'm going with my scrubs after clinic. And there you are, right? That that night completely changed, as you said, so powerfully your path. I could have said, oh, no, I'm too tired. I just fin finished the clinics and, you know, I just want to go and relax. But like you're saying, you have to take each opportunity because you don't know what it's going to bring to you. And it's timing, too, because you were in your last year at Connecticut, right? So you were probably deciding what to do next at that mm -hmm. period. Yeah, I was already kind of considering Perry. I'm like, okay, I will, I will do it. And then I'll probably have to do something with restorative dentistry. I already knew that I was going to need more education in that aspect, for sure. 
but I was looking already into periodontal programs in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And how did you find that this program, the implant specialty program at Harvard, somehow integrated those two things that you wanted to bring together, the restorative part that you wanted to learn and the surgical part that you wanted to learn? Would you explain a little bit more about what that program is about? Yes. So I, of course, I went on the website first after I spent a couple hours talking to some of the faculty. It's very clear that it involves both aspects because they explain how important it is for you to know both. And we always start with the foundation of planning your cases prosthetically and then doing what you need to do surgically to get there, basically. That's Mm -hmm. in essence. The program that I did is originally... It's a certificate program, two-year program that you, you have the option to extend and become a Master of Medical Science and MMSE program for three years. And you also have the option of doing a four-year program to have a doctorate degree. The doctorate degree is more basic science research, whereas the three-year program, you have the option of doing more clinical research, which is what, what I am attracted to. So I knew that I wanted to do the three years. So you completed your training with your master's degree, right? Correct, yeah. And this is a certificate program, but it's probably not one of the considered listed specialties. So exactly. So that's very important to say. And a lot of people, including my father, <laughs> uh, was kind of telling me, well, but, you know, it's a certificate program. And my sister, who's also a dentist, she were, they were wondering, is it um, ADA approved it's not. It's not a. It's not a considered a specialty yet. I always say yet because I feel that now dentistry is evolving so much, and we are looking more and more in implant dentistry and seeing the challenges and knowing that people are going to need more education. Like prosthodontic programs are being way more involved in surgery than they normally were, and periodontal programs are now they're being required to provisionalize some of their surgeries so that they get the feel and they know more of it because it's important to know both. So me seeing these ADA programs, looking into these things, is telling me that the integration has to happen Mm -hmm. for sure for success. Mm -hmm. So yes, now the program is is not to honestly, it, it was something that never bothered me because when I knew what the program was about, I didn't care about that. I just wanted to have that education and focus my career on that. It has not interfered in my professional life at all. And actually, you had already completed your AEGD. So in terms of getting licensed, you could already get your license at that point without even going to Harvard. You just did that, I guess, looking to develop yourself and your education and taking it to another level. Correct. Yes. I just wanted to specialize and to focus and to narrow my career. And I knew that that's exactly what I wanted after I got involved in. And after I did my research about the program, I'm like, okay, this is... So there's a lot of programs that are one-year programs that are great to have exposure to what implant dentistry is really like. And I think for a prosthodontist or for a periodontal professional are great programs. For me, I was coming from a general dentistry background. I knew that I needed to take enough time to focus fully. And one year wasn't going to be enough for me to just develop that. Absolutely. This is a full-time program too. So you were there... Every day of the week, all day. Yeah, very full time. I like that. Very full time. <laughs> all day, all night. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a very full time program. <laughs> it was a fun, fun environment. 
I enjoy my time at Harvard so, so much. And I, I have friends there that I, I'm in contact with almost every day. And it's, it's a family for me. What do you think from the, the Dr. Herzorsford and started the program to the one that finished it three years after, at least at Harvard? What changed? Well, I definitely became more organized with my time <laughs> and with my clinical time. Actually, I remember at the beginning, that was a big challenge, if you ask me, you know, organizing my time, making sure I finished these patients in, on time. People would be after us and it wasn't a good thing if you stayed too, too late or more than planned in the clinics. So we would get warnings. And at first I was so against that and I was so upset about it, but it really, it really helped me get in track and really focus on what realistically I could do versus what I wanted to do mm -hmm. and organize my time very, very well. Which is something that translates perfectly to a private practice setting mm -hmm. and opens up the, the next question that I have for you after you finish that path at Harvard and you graduated How did you merge from there to where you are right now? I moved and I knew no one here. So I developed my professional career in New England. And then <laughs> I knew that I wanted to live here. I wanted to come close to family and warmer weather. But for networking, zero. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing. My sister was finishing the AGD program at Nova and... And we were both, you know, pretty much the same, starting from, from scratch. The way I got involved is there's a um, common friend that we have, that's uh, Mariana Velasquez, actually. She did oral maxillofacial surgery at BU, and she was involved in the Miami-Dade Dental Society at the time. And I got a call from her, and she encouraged me to join the Dental Society to do some networking, some lobbying, and to get to know people in the field. And that was great because I honestly, of course, I didn't know anybody. And also, I've always been attracted to, to academia and to teaching. And also, I wanted to have, do my private practice. So you, there's so much time you have, so you can't commit to everything. But ever since I, I was doing dental school, even in Venezuela, I was involved in teaching. I really enjoy and I learned so much teaching and, and I love it. So here I went to UF, University of Florida. They have a branch in Hialeah, here west of Miami, where they have an, uh, an AED program. I just went there. I, the program director actually did uh, AED at Yukon, so that was a connection there. And I talked to him and I offered him, you know, just going there, teaching voluntarily once a week. And I started doing that, so I met more people that way. And we actually created a very nice implant program, Pensum. It's a semester that we give a few lectures, about 12 lectures in implant dentistry, both surgery and prosthetics. And I really translate a lot of what I learned at Harvard in that program. And it's me and three periodontists. Yeah. And that is in the Advanced General Education Dentistry Program. Yes, the other specialty programs are in Gainesville, up in Gainesville. The only program that the University of Florida has here is AGD. Okay. Mm -hmm. So definitely getting involved in organized dentistry, which is something that we normally don't think about it, or we think it as time consuming versus time invested, mm -hmm. has a value. And I actually got that advice from a very close mentor 
It's like the sooner you can get involved in organized dentistry. And I'm like, I don't have anything to offer to organized dentistry. We always think that we have to be at certain point in our careers to bring something to the table when organizations actually are needing everyone for every type of role because they're growing organizations. They're dynamic. They really need people to to take up these leadership roles for the organizations to develop, for the specialties to grow and the pro- for the profession to be stronger, right? A hundred percent. So what do you think that in getting involved in in an association locally help you out with besides networking? Of course, I got to pick the speakers. You were one of them. You were my first one. For me, my job was to put the lectures together, choose the speakers and get feedback. Get feedback from everybody. We are about 70, 80 people sometimes. Miami is divided basically in three smaller societies. So I, I was in charge of the Miami-Dade County, and then there's two more other counties a little bit more north. So for mine, we were about 80 people. It also teaches you organization skills. It's not only networking, but how to attract more people, how to time it, how to put a full meeting together so that people keep being engaged It was very interesting and I really like it. And then after that, you have more politics into it. So if you want to go that way, there's the Florida Dental Association and there's more different, more and different responsibilities if you want to keep going. But you get exposed to it to at least make a decision whether you want to continue or if you want to change. Absolutely. I think it's fundamental for every professional as soon as you get to not only a new place, but you're also starting up a career, getting mm-hmm. help and support from others that might be like you or might be in the position you were before. That for sure helps. Are you still volunteering teaching? I am, yes. Mm-hmm. We're going back. This is the semester that we are supposed to be teaching and they recently opened up the clinics again. They're full-time working now, full-time operational. And now for lectures, there's the option of doing Zoom. Or, or going there. So I have three lectures coming up. And along with that, then the rest of the week, you are in your uh, private practice setting, right? Yes, private practice. How was mm-hmm. that transition from, I guess, private practice in Venezuela, if you work there, then coming to this country, then being a resident mm-hmm. for, what, five years total, and then getting inserted back into a clinic, a operational clinics in, in this country? Yes, each phase actually was very different from each other. First, in Venezuela, yes, I worked for about two years. Again, during those two years, I was going about twice a week teaching the oral surgery or oral dental alveolar surgery, (laughs) to be clear, department. And then I was working the rest of the time and I was starting doing more thermolar extractions and surgeries than I was doing, for instance, other specialties and you would rent that space and you just work. It's easy. (laughs) Here is not exactly the same. Here you have to, you know, for sure, uh, after you get your license, then things here become a lot more expensive if you want to practice and open up your own practice. First, then I went to the AGD at Yukon is a very, it's again, it's a very large clinic, very fast paced. You're in a hospital setting. Actually, we were on call. We would get calls in the middle of the night. You would go and be with the medical department, receive your patients. So it was very, very medical, very hospital-based. 
we would see a lot of medically compromised patients and heavily compromised patients, special needs patients. And I wasn't used to that at all before. So that was very different. After that, then Harvard came. Harvard is more of a clinical private practice setting. But of course, it's like I said, it's very strict. You have to be very organized and you have to follow the protocols to the T. And it's also very different because we would do very long surgeries. Mm -hmm. So versus AGD, you would see multiple patients a day. For Harvard, it was more of like a one or two, one in the morning, one in the afternoon cases because you would do multiple implants and sinus grafts and you know more surgery so it would involve more time and and of course the the paperwork also mm-hmm. you have to account for that it was very different and then now i work for different clinics and each clinic is different four days a week i am with one clinic that has two different locations mm-hmm. and we kind of got used to each other and it's it's a it's a constant feedback for like for every or for any relationship, you have to really teach the other person how you like things done. And they also teach you how things are done in the clinic. And then you kind of made in the middle, you try to make it efficient. I really like that people don't struggle when they're working with me. I like things to flow. We, I like to have fun while I'm working. And I like to connect with patients. I like to take my five minutes to talk to them about things that are not teeth or implants. And that's how I roll and they know it. So it's getting to know each other. But at the same time, you have to keep it fast and efficient because these are large clinics. I mostly do wisdom teeth extractions and dental implants and implant rehabilitation. I only probably do about 20% of the implants that I place, I restore. I only restore complex cases that the general dentist or don't feel capable of doing like aesthetic cases or long bridge cases or hybrid cases. So basically your practice is limited to surgical practice. Pretty much. Yeah. I would say 80%, easily 85% of what I do is, is mostly surgery. And you don't longer do any restorative, operative? No, no, none of operative dentistry. No, I did at the very beginning, I did a little bit of Derek that I was enjoying, like same day dentistry. We had a very interesting flow in a clinic that I that I really appreciate a lot. It was one of the first clinics that I worked for here. And the owner has a very open mind. She's a periodontist and she has all the equipment. You know, it's someone that really wants to have CT scans for every patient. Um, she works a lot with biomaterials, uh, PRF. First, I was doing a surgery, but I was also doing prosthetics. Like I said, same day, uh, we had we had a technician coming the office with the Seric machines. She didn't have that there because I don't know why. I guess <laughs> she didn't consider that the um, investment was good at the time. But we had a technician there, and we would work on that. So I did I did some of that at the very beginning, but then I started limiting my own my own practice. And how long did it take you from the time that you moved? back to Miami until you felt stable? Because I think every time when you're getting into a new place, the learning curve of understanding the place, the culture of the place in which you're working, and also finding a practice where you can feel comfortable. Not mm-hmm. saying that they are not good practices, there are wonderful practices out, out there. There are others not so great. But more than that, I think it's the right fit. And you mentioned something that I think it's super important, which is you have to teach people how you work. 
they have to teach you how the place works. So that's actually an account that I have with people when they say, oh, I don't like teaching, so I'm not going to get involved in teaching. Guess what? You're going to have to teach your whole life. At some point, you're going to have to teach your assistants. You're going to have to teach your patients. So I think the role of a dentist, regardless of the specialty, is very active to educate others. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, 100%. Also, the way of practicing in New England is very different than down here. The culture is different. The people are different. Patient population is different. What are the biggest differences you find between the practices in New England and in Florida? Look, I never practiced private practice in New England. So that's a big thing too. I was always in the academic environment. I was always a resident in New England. So maybe I haven't seen enough, but I feel that things are very systematic. Here, really, sometimes people try to sneak around and do things certain way and ways that you oftentimes don't agree with. And that's when you need to walk away. So I would say my first year was very experimental. It was probably the learning curve. And at times I would be, I'm, I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if I'll be able to really work here and be happy ever. But you also have to understand that there's thousands of practices. If you want to open up your own, you will, and you will do things your way. But regardless, even if you open up your practice, like you're saying, you're always going to have to teach people. You're always going to have to develop patience. And I think this time working for other clinics really makes you learn and grasp here and there what you want to apply for your own practice and what you want to ditch. What benefits does it offer to work for somebody here? Like under which conditions? Because you talked about in Venezuela, you basically rent a space and then mm -hmm. you, you do your own thing. How is that different here when you're working for somebody? Here, the biggest advantage that I see is that I finish work and I don't need to worry about anything. And I really value it and cherish my time, my private time. When you're a business owner for any business, really, it doesn't end when the door closes, when it's when the business is closed. No, it really it goes way beyond that. And there's a huge responsibility. For me, the, the biggest hmm, challenge would be to find the right team to put a clinic together because I'm only part of it. Even if it's mine, I'm only part of a team. So if I don't have the right team, then this is not going anywhere. So for me, I would say that's the biggest advantage that I just finished. And of course, you know, you, you start learning and, and you're, but you don't pay a price while you're learning. You know, while I'm learning the business side, because I pay attention, because I want to learn, but it doesn't cost me a thing to learn. Versus if I have my own, you know, I pay for my mistakes and or, or for my lack of knowledge. So it really gives you an opportunity to learn uh, the behind the scenes, the insurance, if you want to work with insurance or not, how insurance work and how do you collect money? All those things that nobody really teaches you in dental school, management, organizational skills, everything else. <laughs> There's a lot more into, into that than dentistry. Yeah, it's the business of dentistry, which has nothing to do with the real practice of dentistry as a science. That's exactly. a completely two different worlds. I think it's kind of clear for me now, from your perspective, what will be the advantage? You're free, basically, you're done and goodbye. But what will be a disadvantage of working for somebody? 
there are certain things that you cannot change, even if you try, you know, because it's not your business. So you have to either adapt or, or let it go. And if it's something that you cannot negotiate or that is non-negotiable for you, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. I've let go a lot of places. Or sometimes it's maybe I should change, you know, because I am used to working a certain way, but my way is not the reality of private practice here in Miami, for instance. Did that happen to you? Is there anything that you needed to change? I think my core beliefs, I didn't. And those are the non-negotiable things for me. But really, being more fast-paced, yes, I, I definitely had to, to learn how to do that, how to really choose what to focus on, uh, knowing that I cannot do everything one day. You need to know that you got to be efficient too, for both sides, for you and for the practice. Yeah. And for the patient as well, because the patient is somebody that is working, that is probably taking time off to come to the office, right? Now with all the COVID and the pandemic, now that we're not allowed to have more than, you know, depending on how large your waiting room is, two or three people, we have a pretty large waiting room and you have two or three people, that's it. So you cannot let people just wait in the car for 30 minutes. Now you have to control that even more. Your story is fascinating because you really went through a lot of phases. And I guess I can say because I lived it closely because we, besides being colleagues, were friends. You changed yourself a lot. You had to more than change. You are very resilient. You were able to adapt your mindset and your personality to the things that happened to you. You were able to accommodate to to different events and get the best out of it and, and move on to the next stage. So you, I'm sure you learned a lot through that. I saw you growing so much that it, it was an honor and pleasure for me. But if you could look back now and, and you could either talk to the young Laura or talk to somebody that like you once came to this country with a dream what advices will you give to yourself? What things do you, do you think you have done differently? Hmm, done differently. Um, well, look, I think my personality in general, I am very easygoing with a lot of things. And I am grateful that I am like that because there's so many things in life you need to worry about that if you worry about every little thing, you're not going to be too happy. So I really pick and choose what my worries are. You know, I don't let everything affect me. I'm just not wired that way. You know, I thank God I really just worry about the things that are really, really meaningful to me. That's the number one thing. Don't try to control everything. And I think uh, the the personality for most prosthodontics, like being type A personality, being very controlling, for instance, it's something that's gonna take a toll on you. So you really want to think and analyze what should I be worried about this or should I be focusing on the actions that I need to take for my real goals? Is this worry something real that is out here or is it something that I am making up or am I playing with different scenarios that haven't happened yet? So I think really the mind is going to be your best friend. So you really need to take care of it and you really need to be at peace with it. So that would be my first advice. In general, for someone who's an international dentist and wants to practice here, I would say, look, you need to know which state you want to live in or if you will be flexible with that decision. 
because there's many different avenues or paths that you can follow and you will be able to also practice dentistry in the U.S. You just have to either know where you want to go or know if you are flexible with where you want to go. From that decision, then you're going to start doing your research on how to get there efficiently or the best way possible. Absolutely. Once you have that clarity that you had at least a clarity of a place, I remember mm -hmm. for myself, it was overwhelming the first time I heard that, oh, you have to choose a state in which you want to live. I don't even know if I want to live in this country. What do you even mean by that? So I think it's very different when you have strong roots pulling you in some direction. Mm -hmm. That versus, as you mentioned, when you are flexible enough to say, my goal is to practice dentistry here. That will take you in a different path completely. Because as you said, you have to accommodate your goals, your plans, even the decisions that you're going to be made are going to be in order to achieve that particular goal. Yes, absolutely. But it could be scary. It could be scary for people to, what, do I have to make this decision right now? Is this reversible? I'm going to be able to change my mind. Yeah. But I guess it's good for people to know that even if you make a decision of practicing in some states, some others have reciprocity. So if you get a license in one place, you can eventually get licensed in other places too, right? Yes, absolutely. And if you spend a number of years being licensed in one state, I think if, if I spend five years being licensed in the U.S., I have like licensed pretty much in, I don't know, 40 states. You have to know that there's so many different ways and then there's, there's also things that change down the line. It's overwhelming, like you said. It's overwhelming having to know that in advance. And I guess every person's circumstance is different, you know, for sure. So yes, we, we, we all may have the same goal that we want to be able to practice dentistry somehow here in the U.S., But obviously, each of us have a different circumstances. And just don't feel that you need to know this since the very beginning. You can explore this while you are doing a certain program, specialty, a rotation, and then getting more and more exposed to it is going to start shedding light and you're going to start knowing a little bit more. Find a good mentor. I think that's one of the biggest and best uh, recommendations that anyone can give to, to an international dentist because from there, you can save so much time and energy. Yeah, that's actually probably the best piece of advice out of all the things that we could give to somebody coming to this country, looking to explore it to find somebody who has done it. Yes, somebody that you look up to. Yes, somebody that you admire. I always love to surround myself from people that I look up to, that I am like, wow, you know, I, I really look forward to speaking with that person more and getting to know more about their paths and how they did it and what challenges, you know, they had and how can they help me and guide me? Because when you have someone that's a step ahead, you can learn so much from them. Yeah, completely. I really hope that this collection of conversations with people like us can help as a constellation of mentors for those out there in a way illuminating the path for others with the litter or a lot of knowledge of expertise we will have in each one of our different paths hopefully this could serve the purpose of helping others a hundred percent i think this initiative that you have is amazing it's it's truly a blessing Not only this 
year, this pandemic has really brought so much new information, new light. It's been very challenging in some areas, but it's also been very, very hopeful in some other areas. And I think this is one of them. You know, this came with the need of really sharing that information and and communicating with people that need to know a little bit more about this in particular. So I'm really happy about this and it's an honor to be here. And and of course, I think a lot of people are going to, are going to learn, going to take a lot of this. Thank you so much for being part of it. I I truly, from my heart, it, it means the world to me that people with your career, your experience could help others from from a humble and nice point, which I know you are. So <laughs> I'm happy to share with the world our friendship, our love for each other, our respect for each other, which is as deep as the, the love and care that we have for each other. And it, it means a lot. Thank you. Of course, anytime. We can do this anytime you want. (laughs) Great. Before we go, I just want to ask you if people want to reach out to you, if they feel connected to you with your words today, with your way of living and seeing dentistry, how is the best way for people to reach out? Well, I I don't have a professional Instagram account. (laughs) I should, totally should have one. I know. If anyone wants to manage my professional account, please reach out. (laughs) My handle is Laura Hirsch. And of course, you can DM me. You can send me a direct message. I have it private because it's, it's completely personal. My Instagram, but please feel free to message me there. I, I check it constantly. You can also send me an email, laurahirschdorfer at gmail.com and express what you need to express. And I'll help you in any way I can. That's what I'm here for. That's what we're all here for, to help each other out, to lift each other up. And I think that that's what we all need to do. Super. I'll make sure I leave all that contact information in the description box of the show for people to access it. But thank you one more time for your expertise, your honesty, your heart, and your time to me and to our audience today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. I would love to hear how this conversation inspired and empowered your journey. Leave me a comment on iTunes, subscribe, and join me in my next episode of the International Dentist Podcast. And remember, I am always here for you.